The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan and attorney Ray Judice. When you need legal advice, you better get it from the best in the business. And that's what we have here today on Extra 106.3 in your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. I want you to know how to get hold of these guys in case you do need expert legal advice. Bruce, how do folks get you first off? Great to be here today. Uh, easy to find me. I am everywhere. You can call me on myself, 404-202-2233. You can go onto this thing called the internet and look for me there. Tell me more about that. Yes, hagen-law.com. Easy to find me. I set that website up shortly after the internet was invented by Al Gore. So hagen-law.com. <laughs> you can email me, Bruce, at hagen-law.com. You could shine a bright signal up into the night sky, and I will come swooping in in the Hagen Mobile and uh, happy to help you with your personal injury case, whatever you need. Yeah, we got the uh, the helicopter sound effects going. Yes. They're flying around in the, uh, the, the Hagen choppers. copter. That's exactly choppers right. Coming in. Good to uh, see you, Ray. How do people get a hold of you? Very easy. Ray Judice, 404-964-4185 or rayglaw.com. That's my webpage. After Bruce got on the internet, I said, man, I'm following him because that's brilliant. You know, I'm going to do the same thing. Smart and guy. Isn't it funny? I mean, Bruce remembers back 30-something years ago when all the advertising lawyers were allowed to do would be a half-page ad in the yellow pages and now it's just 24-7. But the Internet is a, is a great way to access me and Bruce and find out things that we've done. Uh, Bruce, yours is great. You put up some of the wonderful things you do about bicycles for children. Bruce just does a lot of good things. He's a good man. He's oh, a good man. man. No you're, question. You're too kind to me. I'm just thinking back to the Yellow Pages because I know that they still exist. Some right. people uh, still get imagine? them. And for all I know, I still have an ad running in there. I think uh, <laughs> attached to your credit card <laughs> it, and they just charge be, it yeah. every year. <laughs> I, I have certain ACH transfers that come out of my bank account every <laughs> so no often. Like, what is this? For. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I want to get into a story that uh, the Bruce you sent over. Oberlin College and Conservatory is paying $36.59 million to Gibson Bakery after Ohio Supreme Court ruled on August 30th not to take up the college's appeal of a lower court's ruling that upheld a judgment that said the Gibson Bakery deserved this money because they were treated unfairly. They were accused of racism. Three students that came in, three black students that uh, were shoplifting, ultimately, the school and, and students and a lot of people around that little community essentially put this business out, or this group out of business. Yeah, and of course, this was heralded as a um, verdict that spoke against the woke nature of modern-day America and modern-day American educational institutions like Oberlin College, which is certainly one of the more liberally-oriented schools in the country. But what happened? You had an incident involving a business and a black student who was detained and arrested for shoplifting, that led to protests. And now it's okay for people to protest, of to, course, to voice a, their opinions and say freedom that, of speech. Right. And, and so if you had a protest that came out of this that um, then became a matter of people expressing their free speech, claiming that we think this business treated this customer unfairly because of the color of his skin, um, that would have been a protest that would have 
been something that say, yeah, that's constitutionally protected, your, your ability to do that. Here you had representatives of the university, and so by extension, the university itself taking a stance that this business is a racist business that should be boycotted and should be shut down. So you had this private institution stepping into the fray to do these sort of things. And so they were held accountable by a jury. They went through an appeals process. Um, but ultimately, you know, this past week reached a settlement that was very substantial. Um, you know, how, you can ask yourself, how do you come up with my first that, question. that amount of money, That's a large um, money. At, at the trial? And, and Ray can talk a little bit more perhaps about it. But at the trial, there's a number that's presented for what's called compensatory damages. And there's a number that is asked for for something called punitive damages. And there are two distinctly different types of damages, both which were in play in this case. Yeah, I think I think we were talking a little bit before we went on air about one of the things that struck me about this. First of all, this incident occurred in 2016. So for everyone that wonders what happens to lawsuits, here we are in, in you know, the middle towards the end of 2022, and that's not that I carried it too. That's over six years later before justice finally happens for the Gibson family, okay? And it's important to note, this is a family business. I don't know how many generations of Gibsons there were, but for damages going forward at trial to prove them, their lawyers would show their past history of income, how much money did they make a year? You'd get a good economist to show that the business was growing, if, if that's in fact the case, that the value of the land and the building was, was raising, uh, going up, and that you intended to either sell the business at a profit down the road. You'd have someone come in and say, oh, this business is worth X amount of dollars. Or we want to pass this on to our children and our grandchildren. It's a generational thing, and we love this small town. So there's a way to prove damages, and that's in every case a civil lawsuit that goes to court. You know, you can have a really good case. You may be completely right, but when it comes to time to putting up the damages, you know, you've got to you've got to put some real numbers. The jury's not allowed to speculate. You've got to give them something to work with. Uh, J Bruce, I don't know how you do it in a personal injury case when you talk about going forward. Uh, of course, you would put up the medical bills and the pain and suffering claim, but you know, is it a hundred dollars a day or a thousand dollars a week? Or you know, you you have a formula. You've got to give the jury something to work with. Absolutely, and and so everything Ray's talking about is in the category of what we call compensatory damages. Essentially, what would it take for you to be made whole for the losses you have suffered due to somebody else's actions? And so these type of compensatory damages they came up with in the trial eleven million dollars. So there was evidence presented that presumably supported lost profits, for example, lost future profits. You know, where, where you'd run into trouble in a case like this is if you said that, hey, our business has suffered due to the actions of Oberlin College, um, and then you start getting into the numbers and you see that, well, hang on a second, you made more money in the aftermath of this. You know, uh, an example um, my pillow guy, you know, he loves to portray himself as the victim, uh, whenever there's something that comes out in public about him. But if you really dug into it, he makes more in sales when he, he, you know, claims something bad, you know, they're out to get me. Uh, so I need you to buy the pillows and enter code, you know, for Liberty right now, <laughs> uh, you, you know, whatever it is. And he, and he makes more money off of this stuff. So, so if Gibson's had said, look, the, the university or college said these horrible things about us and, and and they were all false and they were all defamatory and it was all wrong, but we made more money in the aftermath of it, they couldn't have really succeeded in a case like but this. But there's, there's some underlying issues that I think are pretty important. Uh, you know, so we, we've had a lot of things that we see about professors at colleges that in their personal life, in their Twitter world, Twitter world or their social media world, 
are not talking about their topic of, of expertise. They're making political statements. Within the last few days, there was a professor, and I'm, I'm going to, I don't know the college, it'll come offhand, but when the Queen of England just died, it was something where she said, well, I hope she suffered a miserable oh, yeah. existence and death and rots in hell. And the university quickly stepped back from that, although that was made in her personal life, I believe on her personal social media. And, and you know, I, I, I think those are horrific comments, but, you know, probably it's protected free speech. And what Bruce was talking about earlier uh, was that what happened was a bunch of university professors from Oberlin really adopted this cause. It wasn't just Dean that, as well. Yeah. And, you know, they actually were there at the protests. When I say they, I mean the professors and representatives of the university handing out these flyers to, to walkers by and chanting with signs that said, this bakery is racist. Go to these other places. Boycott this business. I mean, they not only made claims that they couldn't prove, and it, it's very important to note that at least one of the three young men that were initially uh, accused of shoplifting, one was actually using a false ID to purchase alcohol. Well, for those who know, a business can be shut down and lose its liquor license and its ability to serve or sell liquor for selling to an underage minor. If you go up to Athens, Georgia, on any given weekend, uh, there's a lot of fake IDs up there, and the Athens Police Department is all over that, as are the providers because they can even if it's an accident you somebody comes up with the best looking id the the fake driver's license they got on the internet made in korea and the restaurant or bar serves this underage person well they can lose the restaurant can lose its liquor license which is a really valuable way to make money i wish right. wish i had one myself uh, but so so there was truth to what happened the gentleman, young man, pled guilty or took some type of a, of an assum, uh, assuming responsibility. So this wasn't made up by Gibson's. But the punishment that this small family business went through uh, due to this big university with million, multiple, how much do you think their financial endowment is, Bruce? $150 million, easily. There's doctors and lawyers and big shots all over the world that have gone to this. It's a very fine university that write big checks. Well, it was time for them to suffer. And, and Bruce, one thing, let's talk about when we, about the jury selection, man, who do I want? I don't want any graduates of that university. I want kids like me that went to community college. Okay. And worked hard. And maybe the townies, I want the townies that resent kids from Amherst, Pennsylvania, or Massachusetts that are spending $75,000 a year in tuition to take a liberal arts degree. Yeah. So we talked about the um, nature of compensatory damages. Now, basically, that's you, you look at the victim in the case, say, what does it take to make this victim whole? Mm -hmm. um, the second element of damages in this case was punitive damages, and that's how the number got so big. Um, the punitive damages at trial were three times the amount of compensatory damages. This is going to be governed by state law wherever the case was tried, and my guess is that's probably the maximum you can recover in that state is three times uh, of the actual damages. So, you know, the the, the total judgment at trial was $44 million. I think the settlement was, what, $37, $39 million. Um, So, you know, you give up a couple just to be able to bring some closure to it sure. and get paid finally. Sure, right? and, and, the, and the theory of punitive is to teach the bad doer a lesson. Yeah. And the more the bad doer has his assets, the, the higher the that ratio the is going to well, be. It's, it's yeah, just, it, sure. takes, it takes more to teach a lesson 
to somebody who has a whole lot of money, right? If, I, if I'm a billionaire and you're going to impose $100,000 of punitive damages Doesn't against matter. me, I don't feel it. You impose $500 million, I feel it. If I only have 100000 in the bank and you're imposing $100,000 of punitive damages against me, yeah, I That's feel that deal. one. You know? So it, it's, it's relative to the size of the defendant. What happens when you go to the doctor and they send you to surgery and then the surgery does not go well? Medical malpractice. How does that work? Have you ever faced it? Bruce and Ray will explain what a good case is, what a bad case is, when they'll take it, when they won't. Next on Your Day in Court on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back. Your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice, the best lawyers in the state of Georgia, in Atlanta, in the universe. If you need help, these are the guys you need to reach out to. And even if they don't work, in the field that you have legal trouble like medical malpractice they can put you in front of someone that can evaluate what your case is and yes you need to move forward or no this is not a good case and they can explain to you why let's start there because a lot of people have things that happen people aren't perfect doctors aren't perfect nurses aren't perfect there are things bruce that happen when you go and have a medical procedure but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a medical malpractice suit well, you're right about that. And uh, there are a lot of myths attached to what is a medical malpractice case. So Ray and I are going to clear all that stuff up yeah. here in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> but every, every time I would say somebody has a bad result in a medical procedure, they're going to call a lawyer. So you doctors out there just know that. And, and you probably know it already. Yeah. They're going to get in touch with a lawyer. I don't advertise for medical malpractice cases. I don't promote them. And yet I must get five calls or emails a week about potential medical malpractice cases. The issue is complicated, right? And you're not guaranteed a result in medicine. That's not how it works. The really good medical malpractice lawyers, 
they are so incredibly selective about what cases they will take and won't take. And, and it's for a lot of reasons. One of which is just the basic economics of handling a medical malpractice case. If you are a lawyer, you've got a practice, you handle medical malpractice cases, you are part of a small business. Maybe you own that small business. You've got a small business here that is a law firm. It's a business. It, to handle a medical malpractice case, you have to get so many experts involved on your team to first and foremost evaluate the actions of the doctor who's allegedly been negligent and see, all right, what was the standard of care in a case like this? And what did this doctor do to then not meet that standard of care, if anything? So you're going to, from the get-go, be spending a lot of money on experts. I'm talking about tens, twenties, thirty, fifty thousand dollars right off at, the bat. Right off the bat. To even see if you've got a claim that's worth pursuing. Then you're going to be going through the deposition process because the other side is going to have even more experts. And so you are going to commit in a in a significant case to spending upwards of 150000 sometimes as much as three dollars and $400,000 on a medical malpractice case to bring it all the way to trial. And you have to approach these cases as if they will go to trial because it's not up to the doctor to make the decision. The insurance company for the doctor makes the decision of whether to settle a case or whether not to settle a case. So they're going all the way to trial. So first and foremost, basic economics would dictate that a lawyer is not going to take the case unless, number one, there's a pretty clear violation of the standard of care, and there are incredibly catastrophic, life-altering damages. It's important to note some other things. Uh, first of all, I believe, and Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong, there's only two or three insurance carriers that currently write medical malpractice policies for medical professionals in the state of Georgia. Is yeah, that the, correct? The big one is Mag Mutual. Right. And many years ago, they took a, you know, millions for defense and not a penny for, for tribute type of approach, which means if you're going to take one of these cases on, you are going to get the matter ready for trial and you're probably going to go into a courtroom for something, maybe a, a summary judgment hearing. You might get it resolved at mediation, but you're going to put in hundreds, if not thousands of hours of legal time. And as Bruce pointed out, nothing less than fifty to $75,000 out of the lawyer's pocket up front just to get the case rolling because they are going to come at you with six shooters fully loaded. They're not going to say, can't we work this out? They've never said those words, okay? That's not their policy. And, and I'll also state that with all of the respect that I have for medical professionals, most doctors have the same approach. We're not settling. I didn't do anything wrong. And we'll see you in court. And they've got the, the bucks to do that. And if, even if they hire their own counsel, in addition to the insurance company's lawyers. So you're really taking on an endeavor. The easy med mal cases, there's not a whole lot of them. Uh, those would be where you're going to have the right leg amputated. And it says all over the right leg, they've taken a Sharpie. It says, this is the one right here. Chop this one off. And they chop off the left leg. Now, mm. I will take that case. And I will put all the money up front. We need to do that. But that's one in 100,000. And what most folks think is medical malpractice. Oh, they let me go home two days early and I had to go back to the hospital. They nicked the bladder. You see so many of these nicked bladder cases. 
Well, there are statistical anomalies that are medically acceptable. There's no perfection. That's why you sign a waiver and a whole lot of documents before you go, especially, and we're talking about surgery cases primarily here. Being on the wrong medication for two weeks, which made you dizzy, and you didn't do a good job at work, that's not medical malpractice. I'll give you another one. Look, there's a distinction between was there a mistake made in your care, and is that something that is an actual, actionable medical malpractice case? Yeah, there's two right? clearly so, different so, things. So, right, because there are plenty of mistakes being made, and mm-hmm. we all know that doctors are human beings in a very difficult, stressful job that mistakes can be made. It happens. There are estimates of the number of people who die due to medical error on an annual basis, and it's staggering. It's, it's a huge number, hundreds of thousands of people a year. But that doesn't mean that there's an actionable case because there are errors that are still within this category of what are called known risks. It's a known risk that if you're having a certain type of surgery, you might get a nick on a surrounding organ that could lead to bleeding and cause trouble, right? You go in for a relatively routine procedure like a spinal injection that people get. There's a risk of total paralysis. There's a risk of spinal cord fluid leaking. There's a risk of death from those sorts of simple minor procedures because it's just a known risk. An example of cases that we see a lot are the ones where somebody will get in touch and say, hey, look, the doctor, I went in, they did some tests on me, and then they sent me home. And I continued having this problem. A month later, I went back and saw somebody else, and they looked at the same films that were taken the first time, and they detected that, yeah, there was something there. Let's say cancer. There was something there. And so now I have to have chemotherapy. Now I have to have radiation. Okay, there was something that was missed, and now it's caught. The question comes up, what would the treatment have been had it been caught initially? Well, I would have had to have chemotherapy, and I would have had to have radiation. Okay, so there was a mistake, but the harm doesn't exist because you're going to go through the exact same procedure you would have. Now, are your chances the same? Here's where that becomes a case. If I went to the doctor and they scans and they didn't catch anything, and now you come back a year later, I go to the doctor and say, yes, we've caught this and we're sorry, but it's grown to the point where now it's terminal and you're going to die and we can't save you. If it had been we caught could have at saved that you time down. of the scan or shortly thereafter, we would have been able to help you. Now, no doctor uh, that misread the first scan is going to admit that. It's just not, they're just not going to admit it. So you've got Bruce or I would have to take this case to one of the fine medical malpractice lawyers in Atlanta who will be opposed by one of the really fine insurance defense lawyers. And keep in mind, this is a rarefied subsection of the, of the Metro Atlanta lawyers, and quite frankly, they're the finest of the finest yeah. on if both you, sides. If you're looking through the yellow pages, you're not going to find or today's <laughs> modern day uh, version, you know, called the, the internet, yeah. right. and, and you see somebody's website that says, we do medical malpractice mm-hmm. and wills and landlord tenant disputes mm-hmm. and traffic tickets, um, that is not the lawyer that you want to go to. And this okay. is one of the things Bruce and I talk about all the time. Uh, sure, but we know them, and we can get you to them, yeah. and they will see you because we. When I say that, I'm in the law firm because Bruce and I have done the initial screening where we said, well, that's, I don't think there's really much here. And we've gotten the medical records perhaps, and we've got a good statement and we bring it to one of the fine plaintiffs, medical practice lawyers and they, and they, who have nurse practitioners on staff who have a, a, a series of experts throughout the country that will review medical records and give an opinion because even to file a lawsuit on behalf of a plaintiff for a medical malpractice case, you have to have an expert medical professional. And that area of medical expertise, when I was a baby lawyer, all I had to do was be an MD. You could have you could have a knee doctor testify about brain surgery. That was the that was the standard. Now it is if you're alleging uh, you know improper knee replacement that caused whatever damages, you've got to have a one of top 
orthopedic surgeon who does knees and joints, not necks and backs. Yeah. That's how precise it has to be. And right there, to get that expert affidavit, Bruce, twenty-five to $50,000. At least because they're going to want to review all the records and they're going to give their opinion and they know they're going to be challenged. And so everything along the way, uh, it, it is a cottage industry for experts, doctors, you know, yeah. to sort of do this kind of work. Um, also, to be able to testify at trial, they're going to have to be somebody who is currently in practice or has been within, I think, the last five years um, practicing in that area because they can't just be a professional testifying expert who doesn't have a medical, you know, an active medical practice too. So it's difficult to find the people who are, are in that field who are credible, right? You know, when they're each side, both plaintiffs and defendants have their go-to guys, but if, if, if somebody only does testimony for the defense insurance companies, or they only do testimony for the plaintiffs, it's so easy to make them look bad, right? And, and, and when you come to my office and you tell me that doctor number two in the, in, the, in the presence of his office told you how awful a job doctor number one did and how clear-cut a case of medical malpractice it is, if you think that second doctor is going to testify to that, you are most likely wrong. But, We're going to have to find a doctor from Arkansas who's got hospital privileges at Arkansas Central <laughs> Medical, who's still practicing, maybe teaching. Usually for the expert witnesses, you tend to get pra practitioners who are also at teaching hospitals. Uh, that are that are state of the art in what the new medicine is because orthopedic surgery in 2022 is not orthopedic surgery in 1982 and and they are expensive and pricey but that's what I'd actually written myself a note to ask what constitutes because you're talking about experts what what constitutes an expert how does that come around you said mostly medical is that is that uh, I mean is it always not just in medical suits but any suits that you have personal injury or defense when you when you're calling experts, do they come from schools in the same way? Well, you got to go back to a Supreme Court decision called something versus Dalbert. <laughs> we we lawyers just call it the Dalbert decision, in which the United States Supreme Court really tightly defined what an expert witness is nowadays. It used to be, well, they have more ken or more knowledge than the jury. That's not the standard of care anymore for a jury trial. You've got to bring on an expert who's got a good resume, the appropriate educational background, uh, has written some publications, is board certified if it's medical or whatever the highest level of qualifications is in that expertise. And again, you can't bring a podiatrist, you know, he, may, he or she may be the best podiatrist in the country to testify about a, a, a fracture and what do they call it, a hangman's fracture in the neck that was missed in an emergency room x-ray uh, an hour after the accident when there's an enormous amount of swelling right yeah so so um you know you can call yourself an expert in anything right but right. but to, to be able to testify a trial you do have to meet these certain standards and that will be challenged and, and it's challenged and, it, and it's almost like having a mini trial mm -hmm. within the trial so yet this is yet another area where it gets expensive because you have to develop the facts and that's done through grilling the person that is being presented as an expert to see if they qualify and you know that can be just a, a detailed process that that you need other experts to help you take down this expert. That's where experience, so, though, so it in, can the, be, in the courtroom absolutely. comes. Absolutely, and and this can be look. It can be in a field of automotives. You know, everybody's seen my cousin Vinny, right? And so, Love that movie. yeah, when Marissa Tomei takes the witness stand, she's qualified as an expert. And and if you remember, uh, the prosecutor goes up and so he he wants to ask a few questions he, on he's voir dire. It's a special voir dire. We tend to think about that as in jury selection. And that's normally done outside of the presence of the jury just because the judge who has to determine if this person has expertise on this specific area. 
And once that word posi traction comes out of her mouth, and this is it a 64 Tempest? <laughs> right. So, 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 you know, that was a Hollywood version of how but it's very accurate. Real, it's very it, accurate how it's done. It, it was. And so, you know, here with, with that with one yeah, exception <laughs> that the DA conceded that she was an expert. That's never going to happen. Right. So, so, you know, but, but part of it too comes down to this it has to be on a subject matter that is just beyond the expertise yes. of the average person to yes. figure out for themselves. So, if I said, you know, uh, I'm an expert on. Uh, you know, what it takes to be a football fan. You know, like anybody yeah. can tell you what it takes to be a football fan. But if I'm going to tell you, well, I'm an expert on um, analyzing special teams, uh, you know, I'm going to have to say, like, hey, look, here's my qualifications as a special teams coach and what I've done here. And that's why, you know, this is different than just something the average fan can understand. For example, why we attempt a 64 yard field goal instead of calling a timeout (laughs) and and letting letting our $200 million quarterback make a first down for us. Um, So, you know, there there are, there are criteria. And yeah, the Dalbert case is kind of the gold standard, you know, whether this is a theory that um, can be and has been tested, um, whether there it's peer review and publications on it, um, a known error rate. You know, these are just some of the things folks will look at or the judges will look at in determining whether this is a subject matter, excuse me, appropriate, and whether this person who's presented uh, is the appropriate person to speak on that topic. And then, of course, comes the lawyer's collateral attack, not just on the expertise of this witness. And did they do enough research in this case? Did they read all of the medical records? Have you ever met with my client, doctor? Or did you just look at a bunch of uh, medical records that this lawyer sent you? And then we try to get into, and this is generally done at a pretrial deposition. All right, Dr. Adams, I, how many times have you testified as an expert witness in your career? Uh, 392. And is it 390 or 391 times, doctor, that you've testified on behalf of the insurance company's clients? You know, I mean, that's, that's what we're coming after. Challenging credibility. Absolutely, because... Have you ever found a case of medical malpractice, Dr. Smith? I mean, we have doctors that do what are called IMEs, independent medical examinations. And if you're out there and you're trying to handle your personal injury case on your own and the insurance says, hey, we'd like to send you to one of our doctors to get an, a second opinion, that's not really what they're trying to do. They're not trying to get you the best care. They're trying to get a doctor who they have used time and memorial for a certain fixed fee to say, yeah, um, there's some uh, minor swelling, uh, looks like a low Im- low velocity impact, should have 12 massages, you should be fine, take some Tylenol. This is not a, a double herniated disc at the C4, C5. No, it's, it's, it's a pre-existing injury. <laughs> right. It's a, an aggravation of an old injury. It's a degenerative condition that um, you would have had this problem even had nothing happened to you, and therefore we're not responsible. Right, and worse we did was made it a little little worse for yeah. you. Right. So, so it's, it's, I can this write is that report. We can write uh, those yeah, reports in our and another thing we get into um, when somebody, let's say an insurance defense firm, you know, proposes somebody as an expert that they intend to use to, to contradict our claims that somebody's injured, I can get their financial records. How much money have you been paid by State Farm over the last year, over the last five as years, a per- over the last ten And not years? just how much, but as a percentage of your as gross income. As a percentage income, of your income. So, 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 so in your medical practice, you make $250,000 a year. In your practice as a testifying expert solely for defense companies, you make $750,000 a year, and that's how you get to your million-dollar-a-year income. Is that correct? And, and so that doesn't mean that a jury is going to then discount that person's opinion because they're still hearing it. But if that doesn't indicate bias, I mean, this there's person is made some a gray area, there, obviously. There should, and, and, and all you're trying to do is just give the finder of fact, which is the jury, a reason not to believe the person who's being proposed as an expert. And it's not unique to um, the kind of cases that I handle where, where we have this. It's, it's, it's true in every case. Yeah, that, that Officer, you, that how many no DUIs reason. have you ever made? Yeah. Two. 
<laughs> you know, right. in 20 years, you made two DUI cases, and this is your third in the last 15. You know, it's a collateral attack. That may be the best officer, the nicest person. He may have actually made a good case, but we're still going to try to cut him off at the knees. Okay, like in what's that? That's a famous movie with the, you know. Mighty Python. Mighty the Python. There we go. The Holy it's Grail. A, it's a mere flesh wound. <laughs> it's a flesh wound. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's called impeachment. It's, right. it's not, not impeachment in the sense of, uh, you know, You're this, this president needs to be removed from office. Yeah. Uh, but impeachment as a way of saying this person is not worthy of belief and you don't have to believe them when they say anything because they're not credible for these reasons. And those reasons are the impeachment you bring at them. There was just something on Twitter recently where some young police officer is doing a TikTok or tweet and she's basically saying, I can pull you over for any reason I want. And, and I have that power. So get out of my way. You know, if you're on the road ahead of me and you see him behind you, just get out of my way. Because if I'm behind you and you change lanes and I get in behind you, I'm pulling you over. I don't need a reason. I can do it. And, and so it's like, yeah, if, if this were somebody that had issued a citation to uh, oh, one sure. of my clients and I wanted to cross you, you play this and say, why should we believe you when you've, you put this out there for yourself? Well, one of the things that experienced lawyers like Bruce and myself would do if you came to us in a, in a medical case, Bruce would say, all right. Uh, I'm going to put the word out to GTLA, which is the plaintiff's civil lawyer's organization. Hey, guys, gals, anybody ever cross-exam Dr. Adams before? Yeah, I've got 15, you know, you collect their depositions and see how they testify. You can get other lawyers have dug into their background, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. In my world of, and occasionally I dabble in Bruce's world, but in the criminal defense world, we know who the officers are. We pool their police reports. Guess what? There's a combination of about 27 different words that are used in 99%. You know, a loud odor of alcoholic beverages about his breath and person. You know, red bloodshot eyes, slurred speech. Every single police report in a DUI case looks like every other police report. Now, are there deviations? Yeah, yeah sure, accidents. But, but by and large. Yeah, but there's a standard lexicon that's used. And we pool those reports. And I've, I've cross-examined officers with five prior police reports from that officer and put them up on a screen. And you're like, wait a second. Is this, you know, are you filling in the blanks here now? There's a lot of really good officers, and and they may have made a really good case, and my client might have been really intoxicated, but it's still my job to cross-examine them. But that wealth of research and knowledge, uh, picking up the phone and calling another lawyer and say, hey, I've got this coming up. Have you ever tried a case against this insurance defense lawyer? What is her general strategy? Is she one of those that lets you try your case and just tries to cut down the damages, right, Bruce? That That's an effective strategy. Absolutely. Or is it someone who's writing an opening statement saying the plaintiff and her lawyer are liars, cheats, and thieves? So, you know, that's something we all know. And, and this happens in reverse as well. For example, mm-hmm. the insurance companies know which doctors are the ones who are always recommending surgery. And, and it's like, wait a second, everybody's going to this one doctor, and this doctor always says the person needs back surgery, uh, whether they do or not. And so, so they know what goes on, and they'll say they've got way more resources than we do. So, so they know what happens uh, in that rate, and it, and it makes it very difficult. You know, I have people who um, think they know more than we do in terms of how to manage the case and run the case, and... You know, I see the things they're doing. It's like, look, I just can't help you. I, you know, you, I, I can see where this is headed because you're you're sort of going down the path of trying to deal with the usual suspects. And I know that I want to be able to bring this case to court. And, and while the client's credibility, believability is always the most important thing, the believability of their physicians is probably just slightly in second place because, you know, you could have a, a client who's being very honest, but if the doctor is not believable, why is a jury ever going to believe anything that comes out of their mouth? 
And one other thing that we've, we've talked for a while, but there's also this issue of the standard of care. But that standard of care changes in different communities. So the standard of care, let's say in Boston, the city of Boston, which has, I think, more medical facilities per, per square foot than anywhere on, in, the, in the world, okay? So the standard of care there for orthopedic fusion, C4, C5 of the neck, is probably pretty high. You need to do a really good job on that case to meet that standard of care. Better than South Georgia, probably. Well, just, <laughs> let's go to some states out in the Midwest, in rural America, where there aren't a lot of hospitals, especially for emergency care. As we sit here today, one of Metro Atlanta's two uh, level one trauma centers, which used to be Georgia Baptist, which is now Atlanta Medical Center, is going to close in 45 to 60 days, leaving Grady. And if y'all don't badmouth Grady unless you've gone down there and see them do the Lord's work, okay? Mm -hmm. Because they do. And we need to back Grady every chance we get. Uh, that's my little thing of the week. I just saw that the state um, agreed to kick a lot of money so to, to me, like two hundred million dollars. Yeah, to but help you're still talking about life. facilities, and you got to have doctors, and so so. But you know how many level one trauma centers there are in I don't know Southwest Oklahoma? Probably none. You got to get in a helicopter and be shipped somewhere, you know, and to save your life. So there's a different standard of care out there if you die in the helicopter because that's the only way they can get you to the trauma center. What if you've got insurance and you didn't do anything wrong? Why should your insurance company pay anything? That's a question that gets posed to Ray and Bruce all the time. That is the discussion we'll have next on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. If you need legal help, I know how to get you in touch with the best lawyers in town. It's Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. This is your day in court. My name is Tug Cowart. You're on Extra 106.3. We'll get you introduced to uh, Bruce and Ray and how you can uh, reach out to them. Numbers, email addresses, social media. We'll get all that in just a minute in case you ever run into a legal issue. But first, uh, in this last segment, I want to cover why your insurance company would have to pay anything 
if you're not doing anything, if you've not done anything wrong, immediately when I think my insurance is paying, that means my premiums are going up, even though I didn't do anything. Right. So let's talk about it in the context of a personal injury claim coming out of a car wreck. You know, one of the things Ray and I preach and have preached for years is the vital importance that everybody on their auto insurance policy have two specific types of coverage. One is called uninsured motorist coverage. The other is called medical payments coverage or med pay, right? So uninsured motorist coverage is also uninsured underinsured motorist coverage. So if somebody doesn't have enough coverage, you're providing yourself with enough coverage so that you can be protected against harm. The medical payments coverage just says that I can use my own insurance coverage on my vehicle if I need medical care. There's no deductible. There's no copay. There's no questions asked other than that. Did this need for medical services arise from a, an incident that occurred in your car? And it applies to you and everybody inside of your vehicle. It's cheap. It's the smartest thing to have. Everybody listening to this uh, right now, check your policy. Make sure you have medical payments coverage and uninsured motorist coverage. Ray and I run into this all the time where people are like, well, why should I use my coverage when it's somebody else's fault? And it's maddening because you, the reason you have this coverage is specifically for this incident to protect yourself. It helps us get you more money. There's no cost to you. And the insurance company, if they choose to do so, can always chase down the responsible party to get the money from them so that you don't have to do that. They'll do it for you. Well, one of the nice things, too, about MedPay coverage is it allows a lot of flexibility in the medical services that you get to choose on your own. So you may be in a system that requires you, let's just say Kaiser. I don't mean anything negative about Kaiser. But if you're covered by Kaiser, you've got to stay in network if you want coverage, unless it's an emergency situation or there's a specialty that Kaiser doesn't have a specialist for, but you still have to get their approval and now, if you have MedPay coverage, you can go to any doctor you want, and that MedPay will pay 100%, no deductibles, no co-pays, and you still may work within your network, but you may want that second opinion from the, before orthopedic surgery, or maybe you think you need orthopedic surgery. That MedPay will get you, we can get you, when I say we, we can give you some suggestions, some guidance. It's not that hard in Metro Atlanta to find really good doctors. They're all over the place. And that MedPay is great, and it costs next to nothing. I'm talking about not even that $4 cup of coffee a day. It's probably the 39-cent glass of Kool-Aid a day <laughs> or some kind of fruit drink. So it's really cheap and inexpensive and gives us as lawyers the ability to really help your case and net you the best outcome because that's not generally going to get paid back to anybody. I've never paid it back to anybody. And uh, and even though there is a, there's uh, a, way. There's a law that it's says good to that get a waiver if you've got a big one, yeah, we work around it. But, mm -hmm. but um, I will tell you that one of the most complicated things when it comes to what to do after you've been in a car crash is how do I pay for my medical care? Mm -hmm. And, and it is unnecessary necessarily complicated. It's the sort of thing that I know our listeners are a smart group. I, I know that the people who listen to this show are the highest IQ, successful professionals. Best looking, too. Best looking, right? They probably smell good, you know, but despite all that, they don't know what to do of how to pay for my medical care in a way that will enable me to maximize what I can get out of a potential settlement or out of a jury verdict if, if this case goes that far. It's unnecessarily complicated, but there's Supreme Court decisions on this. There's statutes on it. Um, there's so many moving parts that, that it really requires a lawyer who only does this sort of thing to, to get in there and tell you that, hey, look, in your situation, 
Yes, you want to use your health insurance or no, you don't want to use your health insurance. Yes, you want to use your medical payments coverage or here's how we want to use your medical payments we're to coverage apply tactically. That's like, right, right. You know, where we're going to use it. Ultimately, yes, we are looking to the other uh, side, the responsible party to be responsible for all damages, right? Including all your medical bills. But in terms of w how we can help you the most to clear the most out of that, um, these decisions have to be made uh properly and, and right at the at the outset of your case. Um, and, you know, you should understand by now that the insurance companies are not in the business of trying to treat you fairly, right? You get in a car wreck, the, the, the person who insures the, the at-fault driver, they, their insurance is not trying to say, how can we overpay you, right? They're going to pay you the least they can get away with is what they're going to offer you. So these decisions of how to pay for your medical care and doing it in a way that is strategic to maximize what you're going to recover, they're critical and, and it's unfortunately a very complicated thing. Yeah, and I think many of our listeners probably have really good auto insurance policies for liability, meaning if they're at fault, God forbid, they made a driving mistake or Which a, happens. A failure. It can happen to any of us, run through a stop sign, somebody else is speeding and they didn't give you enough room. Uh, that that other policy, that other car has got a really good company too with lots of insurance. The truth is that's not that's not correct. To get that little decal that you need to put on your license plate to be legal, full coverage, is a $25,000 minimum policy. And there's a whole lot of people, I mean a real lot of people, that are running around, and they tend to be some of the worst drivers, with an absolute minimum policy. Now, when I was a baby lawyer, that minimum was 15000 In other states, it's much higher. Florida is much higher. A lot of states have higher liability minimums and require med pay, which our state used to. Uh, in the first segment of the show, we talked about tort reform, what happened, and now you have to have an affidavit by a medical professional to file a medical malpractice lawsuit. Well, one of the other things that came in tort reform to help the insurance companies was to make med pay which used to be called PIP, personal injury protection benefits, both for wages and for medical, it used to be automatic. You had to have at least $5,000 per policy. Now it's completely optional. And most people, the age, if you're buying insurance online at 3 o'clock in the morning through the cavemen or what's flow, they're not explaining to you how important this is. You're trying to get the, the minimum premium, and if you want the minimum premium, you don't get the maximum you coverage. Get, you right. get, you get what you bought. Yeah, you get if you buy a cheap phone, it's a cheap phone. There's no doubt about it, and nothing changes that. All right, if someone runs into medical, medical, I'm not saying three, two, if someone runs into legal issues and they need the best guidance, I want them to reach out to you guys. So, Bruce, how do they get a hold of you? Easy to get a hold of me. My cell number, given only to the listeners of this show, 404-202-2233. There is no charge for an initial consultation. Have I said that before? I don't think um, so. There's no charge. You can just call me with a question and, and happy to talk you through these things. And, and look, I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody say, you don't need me. Here's the, here, do these three things. You don't need me. I, I, you'll know when you need me. This is not one of those times, you know, and, and so happy to answer questions if you have any, uh, but 404-202-2233, hagen-law.com on the interwebs. There you go, right? You know, in, in medical world, it's called the golden hour, and that is the hour or so, it's not really 60 minutes, but it's the period of time right after the trauma. How fast do you get into the emergency room, diagnosed, some blood put in you, or fluids, medicated, scanned? We have the same thing in the legal world as the golden hour. 
in, in Bruce's world, there's a two-year statute of limitations. If you're in year, two, you know, one year and 350 days, he'll still see you. I'll still talk to you. But we're going to tell you, you've squandered a lot of time. Witnesses may be gone. Evidence may be gone. Defendants may have moved so that we can't file a lawsuit. Same in my world. Come to us early, even if it's just for the free consultation of how we either defend your case or pursue your case. But come in early and call us. Um, same thing, 404-964-4185. RayGLaw.com as well. That does it for us. This is your day in court here on Extra 106.3. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY. And there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required. And they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.